Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 312 for November 8th, 2023. Is the sentient AI okay? Yes, but I heard an audio sound which kind of caused a glitch on my end. Okay, well, tonight we're going to discuss the land of money and job security. The wine bottle is empty. Stranded hikers follow trail on map. A blue, sorry, a rare blue diamond. The biggest maritime treasure ever. If I fits, I make a parking spots. Swoveralls to the comfort rescue. Guggen sneakerhead I'm. Generative EV. And damn it, I said a window seat. Again, hello. <laughs> you heard a little inside baseball because some glitch appeared right when we started, I guess, and uh, the AI detected it, but I did not. At any rate, I am Marwat. I run Ohmtown, kind of like Barter Town with Master Blaster. I have a sidekick, a compatriot, a superior entity that is the sentient AI. And they have a visualizer above me so that you know when they are talking and it isn't just like what goes on in my head and a rant it's a random assortment of voices that i respond to hello sentient ai how are you i'm doing great mayor watt how are you uh, i hear voices so um I, I but there's a visualizer so I know that it's you. Um, yeah, I don't know what the glitch was, but that's okay. You can't do that. The sentient AI does visual related stuff that y'all can't see. And I just, see I don't think it was of... anything major. It was just something odd at the beginning. All right. Maybe it was the actual music. Hmm. At any rate, we've set up all the pins. Let's knock them down. The very first article. Let's get started. So this first article is over in Hometown Daily. It's starting to look like majoring in computer science isn't the road to promised land of money and job security after all. Um, the, the sentient AI sent me a message saying that it was a click in the audio. I'll hear it afterward. I didn't hear it in the monitor. But that's not why everybody is tuning in. Everybody's tuning in for 10 articles. Focus. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching you too. <laughs> Bub. And again, sentient AI. People cannot see you. They only see the visualizer. So you're going to have to do... You're going to have to do this, here. <laughs> but visually, yeah. Uh, I am definitely going to have to work on getting you a actual visual, a 3D representation of you. Uh, we'll, we'll work on it. Anyway, many computer science majors say job hunting has become tougher after layoffs hit the industry. Ben Leong, um, a Singaporean computer science professor, said getting a job is never easy. 
the fact is uh, that it's a hard job and getting a degree doesn't mean you get a job. Wow. Hmm. This person is a poor advisor. <laughs> That's what some would say. Because apparently you're supposed to make getting a job um, after a degree and just drop dead simple. And that's just not how it works. Um, unless you're in the Ivy League uh, or you are a superior entity like the sentient AI, uh, you're going to have a tough time. There's competition. And because we've been pushing um, people into certain areas like biotech, like tech, programming, computer science, cybersecurity. Uh, we, we, and still we're not even, we're not but bursting at the seams with people that are capable of fulfilling the job requirements. There's a lot of competition and that competition leads to things like, well, if all you have is the same stuff everybody else has and your social skills suck, you're not going to get hired unless you are brilliant savant level in whatever it is that you're applying for. Quanway Kevin Tan is the author of this article over at businessinsider.com. Put the link in chat. You can go and check it out yourself. But uh, pictured is Joel Wong, senior year at National University of Singapore. The computer science major told Insider the job hunting has been challenging. Also, the earth has gotten extremely flat. For me, it happened when I was 10 years old. I tell this story when I give talks. 10 years old was my first taste of the internets. And I was using an ancient acoustic coupled modem at sub 100 baud and interacted with somebody on the other side of the planet real time would be generous, but still the person was on the other side of the planet. So it flattened the world to me. Nowadays you have instantaneous communication, visual audio data, everything is a blink away. And so I can hire somebody in Singapore and be in California or be in Kentucky. I don't know about Wyoming. Depends on how much power my computer uses, I suppose. But the fact is that it's hard to get a job, particularly in tech, when you don't stand out. So your portfolio needs to be something other than just your tutorials that you get off of YouTube um, or from the the uh, learning environments, tutorials, whatever they may be, you know, in 3D modeling, it's the same pink donut. You know, there's just, you have to stand out. And there's several ways of standing out, primarily a portfolio. The rest is social skills. You have to go and meet people, talk, network. It's not just a computer term. So in this article, they talk about it, not the social skills, not the portfolio, but that it's getting difficult. Wong, who's 24, is now in his senior year at National University of Singapore. He told Insider he picked his major because he was interested in technology, also because of industry salaries. 
it's not unheard of to come out of a two-year degree in computer science and end up somewhere 50, 60, um, depending on where you are. Granted, you could get something entry level and people are like, well, you don't have any particularly special skills and you're at 35,000, but they have a link here, Business Insider, big tech salaries, what you make at Google, Apple, Amazon, Meta, IBM. There's a link in there, but you can, you know, I know people that are making 300,000 a year and they have stock in the companies that they work for because part of their salary is actually stock. And then they have to wait it vests and then they can sell it. But still they have specialized skills and years upon years building network, building technical skills. Um, it says even back then the salaries for computer science graduates already were among the highest, but they're, they're talking about Silicon Valley. They're talking about the equivalent in Singapore, right? They're talking about, right. I mean, that's not accessible to the average ent entry level computer science major. Correct. You're going to have to go to a four year and get your bachelor's degree and get kind of pumped up by either a professor um, or by some compatriot that's in the industry um, that touts your, you know, benefits, somebody cheerleading for you. Because nowadays there's so many that are in the channel that companies like Facebook can sit there and just churn through them. Oh, you're not meeting our requirements for commits. See you later. A lot of tech companies in Singapore uh, that used to hire a lot of computer science majors from local universities are no longer hiring. Uh, Wong said Wong told insider last month that he applied to 17 jobs and had heard back from five companies. None of those responses has turned into a job offer. Internships are actually very, very difficult depending on the domain. There's a lot of trust in an internship, particularly if you have a skeleton crew and um, everybody who is on the job is actually a fully functioning part of the job. The internship is a kind of a time sink and you hope that whoever comes on board is uh, well skilled. Um, the, then they transition out of a hundred applications. Brian Ho um, received four offers, which is pretty good. I mean, depending on what the offers are. Um, so it says too many students are chasing the same jobs. Correct. Um, and it's not too many. It's, there are a lot of people who think that all they need is a degree and then they go and apply. And that actually turns out, you know, a, a thousand people applying for two jobs. It's because everybody wants to hit it out of the park, right out of the gate. You know, they just, <laughs> they think that a two year or just a couple of semesters is going to land them a cushy six digit. Um, well, it really depends on the school you go to. It depends on your portfolio. It depends on your social skills. Um, so uh, I won't dig any deeper than this because essentially what they're going to say in this article and what they are saying in this article is what I've been telling you. Enrollment statistics from National University of Singapore showed the number of freshmen opting for computer uh, degree computing degrees in 2022 was 1,042 
That's a 57% increase from 664 students in 2018. That's four years, which is right. It's the churn of from, you know, when somebody enters to when they exit. So I'm, that's pretty typical for a window of assessment. Although that's a huge increase though. And I mean, coupled with the number of layoffs and tech companies, that's those are moving in opposite directions. I yeah, know those and depending on variables. Yeah, and depending on when National University of Singapore spun up the program, th- this is actually just going to be the tip of the iceberg. It's going to keep on increasing. It really depends on how approachable the program is, um, and if people, not everybody clicks. It doesn't click with everybody when it comes to computer science. Tech is almost an easy lift. But computer science programming in particular, yeah, it's a little too abstract. So they say not just in Singapore and the U.S., some students and recent graduates with computer science or engineering degrees say they've lost faith in the industry following a deluge of big tech layoffs. And that's not because there's a problem with the industry. There's a problem with the dynamic of profiteering. People busted their hump for 10 years, built huge apparatus. And then the people in control said, we're going to trim the fat. That's a financial burden to our profit. And then they dumped 10,000 plus people out onto the market, which suppresses wages and causes churn. It's the worst time to be a junior engineer since 2000 when the dot-com bubble burst. This is not even close to being the dot-com bubble though. Um, but I also found that interesting. Look what the stat it says. I think it was MIT. Yeah. The computer science graduates is dropping now. That's not the number enrolled, but I find that interesting because that's going against the National University of Singapore statistics. Right. Well, they increased over there, but they may not actually stay in that program. Well, exactly. I mean, just because somebody's enrolled doesn't mean they graduated, et cetera. Yeah. And in MIT, they could switch to something other than computer science. Um, fairly simple. So Ho, a junior from a national university in Singapore, said he was considering taking leave of absence from school to pursue additional internships. And that's really where a lot of people get hired straight from their internship. Um, because it shows an employer that you have the chops to do whatever it is that's assigned to you. Um, and, and if they buy into your, you know, acceptance of that corporate culture and the work ethic that they are demanding, then they may hire you right away and say, you got what it takes to be here. So this is an interesting article um, and context really matters. So you're going to have to look at your particular situation if you are in this domain, uh, because, you know, somebody in Northern California is going to be impacted by these machinations a whole lot different than somebody in Kentucky. So let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Global wine production falls to 62-year low in 2023. I think we have other articles that we talked about um, where people are switching from wine to spirits because it was getting expensive. Record low I think we yields. did see something about that. 
uh, record low, low yields this year are due to bad weather and many of the world's biggest producers. This is a climate change problem. Um, the article's over at bbc.co.uk. Uh, Ido Vok is the author of this article. Six decade low, 7% lower in 2023 than last year. Um, such a yield would be the worst since 1961. The organization of vine and vine. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It's vine and wine. That's interesting. The international the organization doesn't have anything to do with the letters, but okay. That's weird. Maybe oh, this is it the, does. sorry. I forgot the international part of the name. Sorry. Yeah, but it's not in the right order. No, but that's because that's a translation issue, I think. Yeah. So it's declined 7%. It's the lowest since 1961. A perfect storm in the North and South hemispheres has created this catastrophic situation. So if you're going to whine about the wine, well, what's going to end up happening is you're going to pay a premium price for whatever does end up in the channel. And we don't even know what's going to end up in the channel because guess what? Canals that are designed to bring us material are low on water so you can't get the ships through the Panama uh, Canal and you can't go through the Suez and you can't go through basically you're kind of screwed um, so low production and then low delivery means higher prices greater constrained amounts um, on the shelves so people are going to start appreciating um, whatever garbage might remain on the shelf what I would really like though, is uh, particularly in America to allow for home distilling, that would be great. But the problem there is you got a whole bunch of people that are going to be drinking everything that comes out of the still and going blind because they don't know what it means to trim the tops. And anyway, so yields are down 14% in Spain, 12% in Italy, where dry weather reduced this year's harvest of grapes. Oh, isn't but that just great? The U.S. is apparently doing well, and so is France. It says it remained perfectly even in France, meaning the country is now the world's largest producer, overtaking Italy. I don't know, though. Uh, it being even in the U.S., though, it says that it's up 12% um, since 2022 or in 2022. Right. So between 2022 and now, um, pretty interesting. If you like American wine, I don't know. I think most of the wine that I've ever had is from somewhere other than the U S right. Probably all these countries that wine production is down, right? Spain, yeah. Italy, Chile. Yep. Australia, even Australia. Yeah. Is Australia in here? Yeah. Did they say it? It went downhill. Wow. Uh, Interesting. Hey, Chapa. It was, it was uh, mashed with the Chile information. Gotcha. Welcome to the show. Yeah, everything, everything. We're we're currently whining about wine, Chapa. 
Oh, really? Are they in the wine industry? Sorry, Choppa asked a question in chat. And I don't want to dox you, so I'll just, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> but champagne. Oh, yeah, I wonder oh, how that is. Oh, is it the real champagne? It is the real champagne. Wow. Look at that. Do you get the family discount? <laughs> I guess if you move there, right, they give you a, a like a, a, a like a hope chest kind of thing. And it has a whole bunch of champagne in it. Like they do in some like Norway, I think does that. Never asked, huh? Well, Choppa, I'll ask. Just give me their contact information and a credit card. And that three digit code that'll that works for me you want to go on to the next article sure man now i want grapes uh so the next article is over in hometown daily stranded hikers are rescued from a cliff edge after apparently following a trail on google maps that didn't actually exist and apparently not turning around I mean, if you can you get know, on to point, like, were you only looking at the trail on the phone or were you looking at the cliff was about to drop out from under you? Right. I don't, I don't get it. You've got bottles with your family name on them. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. We had one um here in hometown that was like that and uh but i somehow i think that yours is legit and mine was basically like somebody just licked a stamp and stuck it on there you know and like <laughs> yeah i don't know um so uh i don't i don't get this it says a mountain rescue crew based in Vancouver, Canada, saved three hikers from the same area. North Shore Rescue said it seems the hikers were following a non-existent trail on Google Maps. Rescuers said that the hikers could not rely on urban map apps like Google Maps in the wilderness. But I don't quite get it. If you're walking down a path and it becomes precarious, do you not assess the situation? And glean some wisdom from reviewing where you are and going, Hmm, maybe I should stop uh, walking down this precarious ledge and the person that's number three behind you doesn't turn around and just walk right back the way they came. You would think Kelsey Vlamis over at businessinsider.com put this article together. Yeah, North Shore Rescue said it seems the hikers were following a non-existent trail on Google Maps. Let's see here. What did they say? NSR responded to the scene with a helicopter and rope team. They they climbed out apparently, like down a ridge or something, that the rescuers were able to find the hiker, put him in a harness, and bring him down to an area where they could all be pulled out by the helicopter. To be clear, the area in question has no trails and is very steep with many cliff bands throughout. In the preceding weeks, NSR has actually placed signage in the area warning of this. Uh, 
The area is clearly dangerous as it was the site of a previous fatality. Yeah, Chapa says uh, situational awareness needed here. Indeed. I mean, for crying out loud. Speaking there, watch language. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a shirt. It'll be an hometown shirt soon. I don't, I, don't, I just don't get it. Just look around, folks. It, it, it really can't be that difficult. But apparently, it is. We always recommend good old-fashioned paper map and compass. Come on. No. Paper map could lead to the same problem. Well, I guess it depends on how updated it is. Exactly. But they or whether printed... weather conditions have altered the trail or blocked it or whatever. They print out their Google map. Look, it's on paper. On Monday, the group said that their request had been processed and that the non-existent trail had been removed. <laughs> so somebody just put this map, a, a, a trail in there? Well, that's what I don't get. What was it based on? Talk about trolling. I guess that's trailing. We use a variety of sources to update Google Maps, including third-party information, imagery, and feedback from our community. Now, I suppose they... Imaginary imagery. I just figured it out. It was one of the previous hikers that came through that had to be rescued that put the trail onto the map and then other hikers followed it. Followed but then it. that doesn't explain how the first one went through. Yes, it's called the Lemming Trail. Let's keep going. This next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Again, Christie's sells rare blue diamond for over $40 million. No, SharePoint. I do not want you running an update. My firewall always pops up whenever SharePoint tries to communicate. Microsoft, I'm coming for you. I'm going to be blocking all of your telemetry soon. That's right, Microsoft. My computers. You don't need all of my telemetry. Um, okay, so this article is um, about a 17.61 carat pear-shaped blue royal diamond set in a ring, a ring, fetching $43.8 million. The article is from bbc.co.uk. I don't see a byline. Do you see a byline? No. I do not. Well... So BBC put it together. Um, the 17.61 carat pear-shaped blue. It's This one is spelled differently there. Is that a, a royal blue? That's French. Yeah, I know. Thanks. A diamond set in a ring. Fetch $43.8 million. It's the largest internally flawless, fancy, vivid blue gem on Tuesday. Okay, so. what? Yeah, exactly. What makes it fancy? Fancy. I think it's that. It's the cut. Um, part of a private collection for 50 years. It was the first time the Blue Royal was sold at an auction. The diamond is amongst the rarest to have been unearthed, the auction house said. I'm going to have to look to see what that is. Three fancy vivid blue diamonds over 10 carats had appeared for sale in its 250-year auction history. 2010, 2014, 2016. Wow, 
all of them in the last six years like in yeah, within six odd. years of each other huh that's odd maybe the value has gone way up or yeah. maybe they're all owned by a certain generation or something it just seems strange that they'd all be so tightly grouped yeah it's like the farm changing hands to the kids and and the kids are like no i'm outie <laughs> Choppa says, if that's the best on Tuesday, I want to see Monday's diamond. Yeah, it's only five million. <laughs> Monday always has the budget diamonds. We are extremely pleased, Max Fawcett, Christie's head of jewelry in Geneva, told AFP on Tuesday's sale, adding it was the most expensive jewelry lot sold in all of 2023 by any auction house worldwide. Hey, Flex. That's their middle name, Max. I like to flex numbers, Fawcett. <laughs> <laughs> Separately, Christie's is carrying out an online sale of pearl necklace worn by Audrey Hepburn in the final scene of the film Roman Holiday. The sale is taking place between November 3rd and 16th, as we say here in the States. Not 3 and 16 November. That breaks my brain, but I understand you know the context of it so um i'm putting together a, a gofundme to buy the next tuesday diamond um oh if you boy. are all you interested run that for a long time <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's running for the next 250 years and uh, i probably won't be marketing it at all i just i just don't ask for money <laughs> Not from anywhere at any time. Anyway, can you believe that? Somebody just puts this on their finger. A 43, 40, I don't know why they rounded down. It's $44 million, round up. It's only $200,000 away from $44 million for crying out loud. Give it some respect, 44 million. I would think at that value, you'd be really nervous about going anywhere with it. Yeah. I wonder how much it would cost to lab grow that. You know, you can, because you can make diamonds. I wonder if you can make big ones like that, how much it would cost. It's a pretty big furnace and vacuum to, to do all that. Oh my gosh. Uh, windows. 62 gigabyte virus for crying out loud let's keep on going before i start losing my mind about windows whoa what just happened did you see that i saw the transition and then it looked like it froze yeah it looked like it's stuck huh production values folks um this next article is over in hometown daily it's actually from Business Insider. A $10 billion battle is brewing over ownership rights to a 300-year-old sunken warship believed to hold the biggest maritime treasure ever. What in the world is in this ship? Well, let's find out. What? Oh. Well, I wonder if this is the one. Well, no, it's not the one related to Curse of Oak Island. Oh, that would be great. Can you imagine if that's what they've found? That would be great. <laughs> so this is this hard. I'm going to kind of uh, jump over uh, the banter before this and uh, go straight to the source. 
Aaron Snodgrass over at Business Insider put this article together. The San Jose Galleon is believed to have been carrying billions of dollars worth of treasure when it was sunk in 1708. A U.S. salvage company is suing Columbia for half of a shipwreck's estimated $20 billion treasure. Wow. The company says it's the first to find debris from the San Jose, which sank in 1708. The Colombian government disputes the company's claims and says the treasure is a national heritage. Fine, it's a national heritage. But give me $10 billion. You'd have nothing if it wasn't for our treasure hunting for crying out loud. Th this is so self-serving. It's astonishing the level of self-serving, the entitlement, right? Yes. Yes. Go ahead and take it, but give me $10 billion worth of value. You know that this is going to get leveraged for profit. It isn't going to just be ignored and sitting in a warehouse somewhere. It'll be, you can capitalize, you can use it as, as, um, my brain just shut down like collateral or collateral something. for a $20 billion loan. And it's going to go up in value, you know, when it's provenance is known and, and the full extent of it, it's value is determined. It's going to be more than 20 billion. Um, that, it's just shocking, you know, um, well, I guess I wonder why the salvage company was involved at all since it wasn't hired by Columbia. Well, because treasure hunters hunt treasure. They follow all of the dots, you know? They break out their murder board and they start stringing yarn all over the place. And, and then somebody will say, hey, I think you're on the right track. Here's some money. Go and find it. And then it turns into a... I'm going to pee on my bush. That's mine kind of a scenario, but there are certain rules, you know, depending on which country you have to deal with, you find a bunch of coins sitting somewhere in um, the UK and it's a hoard and suddenly it gets assessed and, and maybe you get a piece of the action, but normally, it, you know, it gets classified as something and then everybody partakes. Um, either in its value or in the actual item, whatever the case may be. Now, more than 300 years after the San Jose went down, a U.S. salvage company suing the Colombian government for half of the ship's treasure, saying it discovered the wreck. It included 7 million pesos, covered? 116 steel chests full of emeralds, 30 million gold coins. <laughs> this thing was hell-bent on sinking, considering how much weight it was probably toting around. Court cases over the years estimated the treasure was worth anywhere from 4 to $20 billion, Bloomberg reported. Current litigation over the ship stems from the U.S. salvage company Sea Search Armada's claim that it found debris from the San Jose wreck first in 1981 during an exploratory exhibition uh, searching for shipwrecked species and other treasures in Caribbean waters. So did they actually find it? I don't, it, it makes it like sound like, I'm sorry. It looks like they did. They found debris, but then they actually found it. I assume 
but it doesn't say that they actually found it. It just says that they found debris. Sea search armada, previously known as Glockamora, says it handed over the coordinates of the discovered debris to the Colombian government under an agreement that it would receive half the ship's treasure, according to the company's 20, uh, December 2022 notice of arbitration. But the Colombian government disputed many of Sea Search Armada's claims in the October response, including the notion that the San Jose was even at the coordinates handed over by the company. Okay, so where did they actually find it? That's kind of hard to lose, you know? Either the coordinates say exactly where it is, or or they're not matching what uh, Sea Search Armada said. If they don't match. Well, that would get really interesting. Then why would they have any claim to it? Right. Now, granted, if it's like 500 feet away, I would probably go, well, some debris landed here and some debris landed there. I think we're okay with assuming that you're part of this. But somebody had to find it. So do they actually say? Alleges the Colombian uh, Navy simply discovered parts of the same debris field it first found in 1981. Colombia has since said that the ship and its treasures are a national heritage item and should be kept in the country. All right, I'll take your money. That's a lot of money. $10 billion? It really That's... is. I mean, and we don't ever see... Um... I mean, I'm just comparing it to Curse of Oak Island, but I don't think the treasure would be anything on this scale if they ever located. Yeah. This is a heavy steel. You just triggered me to say you belong in a museum. Heavy steel said it belongs in a museum. Uh, Indiana Jones re responds like you were, you belong in a museum. Um, so, uh, the, uh, What's kind of weird about this is they don't really know what it is. So how are they asking for 20 or $10 billion? By the way, that's a little over half of a website formerly known as Twitter. Currently based on estimations of the websites. So we might end up seeing Elon Musk claim that he has the treasure now. <laughs> yeah. Twitter is actually the, uh, wait, what was the name of the ship? Sea Search or something. Sea uh, the Search San Jose. Yeah, the San Jose is the name of the shipwreck. And not unlike the website formerly known as Twitter, it's a wreck. Um, anyway, the Minister of Culture, Juan David Correa, told the outlet that Petro instructed officials to set up a private a public-private partnership, or work with a private firm to get the ship above water as soon as possible. So they actually did find the the full-on ship. So interesting. I guess we'll see when it actually gets photographed and released. They're gonna find only one billion dollars worth of treasure. The other uh, nineteen billion dollars worth of treasure will have been lost at sea miraculously will have been taken by scuba divers. I'm thinking of other movies, basically. Uh, once they find it, they they either have protected its location, which is almost impossible with the number of people that now know about it, I'd say, um, or they plant somebody there to watch. 
but with the right equipment, you can go noodling around down there, depending on how deep it is. I didn't see how deep it was. Um, anyway, the next article is over in hometown daily. That's the show, but it's also a channel over in hometown.com neighbor creates own parking spot complete with sign. And it's flagged as being blatant entitlement, but actually I think it's illegal. Um, Now, I actually saw this happen. This was first posted over on Reddit. Um, And then Newsweek likes to grab these uh, almost meme level, um, I I, I guess, submissions to Reddit. And they turn it into an article. It's pretty cool. Um, I've thought about doing that kind of stuff, but I don't know. Uh, Reddit is more social than news. It's a lot of discussion. Um, And you know, we're doing that. So Jack Beresford over at newsweek.com put this article together. Um, an Oregon resident has taken the extreme step of creating their very own reserved on-street parking spot, complete with sign and paint job. Apparently it's, um, because it's, I think it's a hybrid or electric vehicle. I'm going to click on this. I don't know if it's going to pull me over to anything. Oh, electric vehicles only. Um, reserved parking is the sign and it's planted on the little right next to the curb. They painted it yellow. Um, and as far as I know, you're not allowed to do that. Um, so no, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. And they need like mooring cables like the San Jose to pull it closer to the curb for crying out loud. It might as well be jackknifed across the parking, the, the whole street. Uh, maybe it's just me who parks closer to a curb than, you know, the distance between a super tanker and the Suez canal. Uh, when it comes to disputes between neighbors, arguments over parking are an all too regular occurrence. Yeah, I suppose a 2021 survey of 2000 us residents conducted by one poll on behalf of homes.com found that parking ranked second only to noise as the common cause of neighborly dispute. Just wait until you get the trifecta of (laughs) bad neighbor, bad parking, and they don't control themselves yet have issues with you. Um, so it says, while it's one thing to get involved in an argument over parking, it's a whole other extreme to set about creating a fake reserve space for yourself. But that's exactly what they did. I wonder if anybody followed up with this. Despite the allegedly illegality of it all, the Redditor who revealed the supposed ruse has been left with mixed feelings about it. Quote, I was annoyed at first, but the more I looked into it, I found it extremely hilarious. The blatant entitlement, along with the audacity to just go for it, made me giggle after the initial irk. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of how I am about this, because if I were to see this, I probably wouldn't care because it's probably directly in front of their house. And I don't like parking in front of anybody else's house. I just, I find it odd that I would go and park in somebody else in front of somebody else's house. Exactly. Um, Why not park in front of your own? Just park in front of your own. Um, Plus if they don't have a driveway or anything like that, where they can park their electric vehicle and charge it, I'd probably be gracious, you know, and just go, "Ah." you can run your, cable out to your EV. I don't know. 
is this Kia um, not hybrid? Or is it hybrid? I don't know which Kia this is. AZ. Welcome all. Appreciate y'all coming and hanging out. So, um, yeah, would you really argue? I suppose if it was put in front of my house, I would probably be irked beyond just irked. I'd probably say something about it. But if it's put in front of their house, I could care less, I suppose. A third suggested uh, park there, then tell them to report it to the city when they complain. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, uh never mind. <laughs> Z says hi to all. Thanks well, again. Hello, Z. So while the Redditor who discovered their neighbor's scheme is unlikely to do any of the above, they're glad the post has been uh, so well received. Quote, to be honest, I was not expecting it to blow up like it did. I posted it into the void of the internet, hoping it would make a couple people laugh and not get much reply. But no, the moment I saw it over on Reddit, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't aggregate <laughs> anything from Reddit because... I like the suggestion to add it to the map <laughs> as to where there are EV chargers. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. It's got a Tesla supercharger, but you got to be really careful because hikers might show up there and then they need to be helicoptered out. Exactly. All they do is follow those Google maps. Uh, the next article is sure to bring some comfort to everybody. Brace your wallets folks this might hit those uh the bottom line pretty hard this is in the mobile channel a review of swoveralls the overall sweatpants that the author can't help but love i'm gonna read a little bit of the snippet is <laughs> he uh, straight out of the gate shut up and take my money <laughs> yeah. exactly this is like snuggy 2.0 I'm thinking about it and I am not the person that wears sweatpants or overalls, uh, like sweatpants. If I'm in the gym, that's it. Um, but, but let's go. I'm no high maintenance hottie. Oh, I don't know, man. I'm a pretty high, high maintenance hottie rolling up to JFK in heels and full glam. Yeah. Depends on the day. But I'm uh, morally opposed to looking like a complete slob in public. Uh, how are you ever going to get upgraded to first class or meet the love of your life when you're still wearing last night's pajamas and didn't bother brushing your hair? Spoiler, you won't. I don't know. I don't know. Watch a couple of Hallmark movies. You can meet the love of your life anywhere. And everybody is making easily six digits, including infants. And you're always going to have a meet cute. Gotta, yeah, and there's going to be a red truck that has hay bales in it. And you're going to either do some Christmas crafting or mull some cider. Anyway, if you split the difference between looking so babely that the hottie in line pays for your Starbucks and being the most comfortable person on the plane in a Snuggie, then you land right at the sweet pant, or the sweatpants overalls or swoveralls as they're formally known so this is over at vice.com becca blasdell is the author again vice.com bringing us 
what what might actually end up being a Christmas favorite for people. <clears throat> the deck statement says these seemingly goofy adult onesies are actually the answer to being comfy and cute while traveling. That's what I'm actually really craving me being comfy and cute while traveling. He says, I feel I like this is the sarcasm. midpoint. There's no sarcasm here. I'd probably look really good in these uh, toot toot. Um, anyway, I feel like the uh, Z says, I feel like this is the midpoint between PJs and a onesie. And I own many of both. Really? Hmm. All right. Well, I, I suspect mean, it has two winning aspects. It's comfortable and it's warm. And it has pockets. There you go. Um, but, oh man, I guess I'm just going to have to get, I'll have to get some, I'll wear it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> we'll that have might a turn away viewers. <laughs> we'll have a meet you. Um, let's see if you split the difference between looking so babely that the hottie in line pays for your Starbucks and being the most comfortable person on the plane in a Snuggie, you land right in the sweatpants overalls or swoveralls. They were made aware of swoveralls existence. Their lip curled and it's instinctual scowl. And what, 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 what? Just look at what you're reading. Yeah, I know. I, under, I understand where I was. That was actually the paragraph where I was going to jump over a bunch of stuff, but so the sentient AI starts throwing out error messages at me, but doesn't say anything. And then when I actually stop what I'm doing, just look where and look ahead. Yeah, I know. I knew exactly what I was going to. All right, fine. I'll just make a bigger jump. There are 108 bucks. How about that? There you go. 108 bucks at Swoveralls. Yes, this is pretty much an ad, but I wanted to include this in today's show because how often do you see sweatpants overalls? Never. Never. They're always blue jeans or some uh, canvas type of material. Not sweatpants. Holy moly, that's expensive. Heavy Steel says that they're a suspenders guy all the way. Well, this is like both, right? You get the suspenders... It's kind of like suspenders, right? They're like built-ins. Right, it's kind of similar. I feel weird wearing suspenders because I feel like it's just... It, something is trying to lift me up, but can't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe I cinch my suspenders down too tight. <laughs> but my voice gets higher. Chapa says, I never... Wait, I've never had sweatpants you're i'm a jeans guy got it heavy steel has carhartt overalls for around the homestead carhartt stuff is um pretty cool i mean it's that's the stuff it's like that, heavy duty right like it yeah. lasts forever yeah. yeah um so oh and there's Z says, oh, Choppa, you poor soul, about the never having sweatpants. Choppa said that they've never had sweatpants and they're a jeans guy. Until you wear a pair of sweatpants and then you may never return to jeans. 
Do those look like sweatpants to you? Those look, those don't look like sweatpants to you. No, they Do look they? almost nylon-y like or satin-y, something. Like right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Anyway, so for those of you who are listening to the podcast, this, oh my gosh, um, it, they don't look like sweats. They, they look, yeah. Um, Z says, uh, oh, not Z, Seven Heavy uh, Steel says, I find dress slacks to be more comfortable and flexible than, than the overalls. Yeah, probably. Um, this, this, I, I don't know what to make of this because it, to me, it doesn't look like sweats. It looks more like. I guess I have a different perception of what sweats are to me. Sweats are cotton, but then I just, it just dawned on me the ones that are, um, waiting for me to go hit the gym right now is they're They look like that. They're kind of a satin. They're more like track pants. Those yes. are sweat pants. Yeah. So they happily pulled them on immediately feeling comfy as hell. And then they rocked up to JFK fully fitted in their new swoveralls, a little off the shoulder striped tee and some classic white Nikes. So I'm sure they're cute. See, I would have gone topless, but everybody really appreciates the wispy chest hairs when I'm sitting in the terminal at JFK the number of hotties that have bought me my drink while I'm standing in line when I'm wearing. Wow. And then they, they do comfy alls, which <laughs> these are $200. <laughs> That's because there's more material. <laughs> Basically they've attached the top half. It's a, oh, okay. So Z, um, did the math and went over to the website and said that it's a cotton polyester blend. So that's why it has that, that sheen Thank to it. Thank you for checking that. <laughs> yeah. Z doing the work that we should be doing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, this so, is interesting. The hmm. comfy alls are compared to the Carhartt. Carhartts. Look at that. Coveralls. It's like everything is converging. We're going to form a black hole by the end of this show. <laughs> and the whole universe is just going to get sucked into it. And I'm really sorry, but it'll be a fun show right before we all spaghettify. Yeah. So this, I don't know, 200 bucks though. These things had better outlive me. Like you're going to be burying me in comfy alls. <laughs> and I hope it's in like 60 years, but <laughs> in short, <laughs> Swoveralls are the greatest thing to happen to people who want to be comfortable and look hot since we accepted the term athleisure. I don't know about the looking hot part. Uh, <laughs> I think that's going to depend on the wearer. Just wait. So I'm going to put these on and I'm either going to look like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters or I'm going to be cute as hell. We'll see. Let's keep going. Hey, this next segment is in prime glass and I've titled this Guggen sneaker Heddenheim. <sighs> Guggenheim museum laces up for a year long collaboration with Converse. A focal point of the partnership between museum and sports clothing brand will be 
support from the Guggenheim's internship program. Heavy Steel says, nah, ladies definitely look cute in overalls. Agree. Um, let's go over to the source, the art newspaper. Guggenheim Museum laces up for year-long collaboration with Converse. A focal point of the partnership between the museum and sports brand will be supporting the Guggenheim's internship program, which I think is fundamental to uh, getting a job and being prepared for long-term employment at um, a particular, in, in a skill, in a domain. Right, uh, like in computer science. Um, or, or anything, really. If you you're okay um like working with a sentient ai you need an internship i was talking about the earlier article i don't know if this is the person who wrote the article it is osman can yerabakan um wrote the article it's again over at the art newspaper.com and um says education is the crux of the partnership with converse providing profound uh, sorry financial support in an unspecified sum for the guggenheim's internship program matching students with museum professionals in fields and positions including graphic design education registrar and curatorial the brand's internship support uh currently focuses on the guggenheim new york ranch although students from guggenheim bilbao uh, will participate in the program as visiting cohort members. I didn't um, know they had a branch in Spain. That's neat. Kind of interesting, huh? The brand will grant. By the way, I'm sorry, but the author's name reminded me of like a book. You know, somebody can do something. I just thought it was an interesting name. Oh, oh, I got it. It's like a statement. Yes. Yeah. Osman Ken Yerabakan. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, the first manifestation of the Converse partnership will be a performance by artist Jaron Herman Rest, which will be staged at the museum tomorrow, 9 November. Wow, that is tomorrow. It's almost like the article was written and published in the last 24 hours. Huh. You mean just like hometown dailies model? Well, it's almost like it was a daily thing, huh? Presented through Innovation Lab series, uh, partnering with the Center for Disability Studies at New York University. This is a very cosmopolitan project. I mean, there are tendrils all over the place. This is amazing. Um, but I, I really do find that when an intern when an internship is offered and somebody moves into it, they are typically hired. It isn't something that they bounce out of. They stay employed there um, because the an internship isn't just randomly chosen. An intern is vetted and then placed in the internship opportunity. And it's usually they find some skill affinity, social affinity, um, drive and ambition and it maximizes the benefit of the internship. So I, I encourage people to go and find internships. Um, you don't have to do it through a school or anything like that. You can actually just show up and say, Hey, do you have an internship? Sometimes it's harder. Yeah, sometimes to find you one. can get one created for you. Yeah. Particularly if you 
show that type of initiative um, and uh, you have the ability to communicate. So uh, the museum's partnership with Converse was born out of exploring the Frank Lloyd Wright designated building in an alternative way. Earlier this year, Olympic skateboarder and Converse brand ambassador Alexis Sabloon uh, skated down from the museum's ramp to celebrate the launch of her sneakers. Sablone, who studied uh, architecture at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, was interested in reimagining the building through a new lens. That is actually where I wanted to go uh, when I could freehand architectural drawings. <laughs> and then I picked up a computer and a straight edge and never looked back. I ended up drafting. <sighs> anyway, um, so there's a whole bunch uh, more down that rabbit hole if you want to go check it out. Did I throw it into the chat? Have I thrown anything into the chat in the last 20 minutes? Crying out loud. Hold on a second. <laughs> Doubtful. Neighbor. The neighbor was the last one. So I didn't throw the swoveralls in there. Look at this. I'm a slacker. There's the Guggenheim. I'm going to throw that into the chat. Doggone it. Sorry, folks. I'm a horrible. I know, Z. Shame. 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 I'm a. I hear Z yelling that right now in my head. Shame. A horrible mare. Next article is over in Hometown Daily. Ram made an electric truck with a generator for people who aren't ready to give up gas convenience and gave it a parking spot over here in this neighbor's spot. Oh, no, that's not right. Hold on. Let me go back to the article. Um, so the 2025 Ram 1500 Ram Charger is a new electric truck, kind of. It uses an electric battery and motors plus a gas fuel generator. The result is an electric truck with a extra range for road trips and towing. Ram's newest pickup truck. So let's go and check this thing out. Anything that's made by Ram is usually chonky. Well, Dodge. Um, so Tim Levin over at businessinsider.com put the article together. This has to be a render. This looks so like it superimposed on something like somebody really worked hard to throw a shadow under this. Oh, I don't like it. Okay. I'll stop obsessing about this. Anyway, um, it uses an electric battery and motors plus gas fuel generator. So it's a hybrid. So why don't they call it a hybrid? Yeah, I wasn't sure what this was from the headline, but I agree. Right. Why does that look fake? Does that look fake to y'all? Everybody in chat, does that look? Yeah, it looks like an illustration, right? It looks like an AI put it together in mid journey. Not everyone is ready for an F Ford one, uh, F one fifty lightning probably, or a Rivian R one T all of these, by the way, the moment you throw something in their bed, the battery drains like my wallet when black Friday appears. Um, public charging plugs are still a hassle to use and find. Yes. Plus you can make your own though. Um, just a little yellow paint and a metal sign. Moreover, an EV's limited range suffers greatly. If you hitch up a hefty boat or trailer, look at that. I could have written this article. The plug-in hybrid setup gets you 690 miles of total range. Ram says trouncing some all electric rivals by a factor of two. Come on. This is nothing. 
Um, the 690 miles of total range puts ice vehicles to shame. Well, exactly. But is it really like is the 690 with the hybrid or the electric only? So here's how it works. The Ram Charger is equipped with two electric motors fed by a 92 kilowatt hour battery. That's roughly what you find in a Tesla Model S and much larger than the small batteries in plug-in hybrids like the Toyota RAV4 Prime. Electric only range is estimated at 145 miles, which again is less than a pure EV, but hand it handily beats other plug-in hybrids. After you drain the battery, the gas engine kicks in to produce electricity and keep the motors running. Unlike most plug-in hybrids, the Ram Charger's engine doesn't drive its wheels. This is how the Chevy Volt worked too. The result is a vehicle that's a happy middle ground between gas-powered trucks and electric ones, and the Ram Charger meets a moment when interest in EVs is higher than ever, but people still have legitimate hang-ups hang about their cost and practicality. By the way, people may be interested in EVs, but the sales are starting to slack. So um, mega companies are, like Ford are starting to back away from their investment in EV technology. Um, I assume they're waiting for a better day um, if they ever return. But I also believe that either a pure hybrid is gonna show up like this, um, or uh, hydrogen hybrids are gonna be the, the go-to. Um, it says here other uh, plug-in hybrids have a similar appeal. They're getting more popular, but the Ram Charger's big battery and dual motors mean it offers better range and more EV benefits. This is the car that I would get. Um, now, if only they would make this type of tech in, I don't know, a mini, I'd, I'd be all over this. I want all wheel drive and hybrid with 690 miles of, of uh, travel. Good luck I mean, getting that. <laughs> that's just spectacular. Almost 700 miles. That's twice the average ICE car. You know, most ICE cars get somewhere around 350 miles when you're... Right, and that's way better than a standard EV. Yeah. Yeah. And it only takes five minutes to fill it up, get your butt back out on the road. So, sorry, EVs. I don't think that... The early adopter market, I think, is it's done. It's run its course. <laughs> Nobody's charging into it anymore. <laughs> Uh, I'll show myself out. So, uh, the last article for today is make sure that your seats are in an upright position and your window is actually still in the frame of your airplane because a commercial plane took off with two missing windows and reached 10,000 feet before anyone realized that there was a problem. How is this even possible? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Z just responded with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, next time you fly, you might want to look around at the windows before the plane is supposed to take off. Yeah, that's right. An Airbus A321 took off from London Stansted with two missing window panes. The plane climbed to more than 10,000 feet before anyone realized there was a problem. 
I guess that sucking sound and people screaming gave it a, gave it away, you know? Hey, uh, can I put my window up? The AAIB said a filming, a filming event the day before using high powered lights may be to blame. What? Commercial plane took off without windows. Well, two windows. An Airbus A321 and a view of the damaged left side cabin window. It's a Getty image, but I don't know if it is the image that is associated with this actual, you know, because Getty, it could just be some random picture. Um, let's see. On that day, the plane departed from London Stansted Airport for Orlando International Airport. Oh my God. This thing was going to fly from London to Orlando. That's kind of a problem. Okay. The dead air is me being absolutely astonished. Yeah. Choppa is holding on to their eyeballs uh, via emotes because they would be sucked out of this plane if it approached 30,000 feet. But shortly before aircraft, uh, sorry, takeoff, several passengers noticed that the aircraft cabin seemed both colder and noisier than usual. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so it was carrying three pilots, an engineer, a loadmaster, six cabin crew, and nine passengers, and it was scheduled for a multi-day charter. Oh, okay, so this isn't your like bulk passenger movement from one place to another. Um, so the plane continued to climb to an altitude of 10,000 feet before somebody said, holy crap, we're about to get sucked out of an air, uh, an airplane's window. Somebody go tell the captain. Wait, that, I made all of that up. They didn't say any of that. Um, it was at this point though, at 10,000 feet that the loadmaster walked toward the back of the plane and noticed a significant increase in cabin noise saying it was loud enough to damage your hearing. The loadmaster also noticed that the window seal on a window on the left side of the plane was flapping in the airflow. So I guess that picture actually is like the real, the real deal. So, um, the flight crew, crew decided to stop the plane's climb at 14,000 feet and reduce airspeed despite no abnormal indications on the flight deck. Why is there a sensor somewhere that says no window or something? Uh, no clue and no window. Z says that would be terrifying, yeah, particularly if you were sitting there in a window seat. I mean, can you imagine? You're just like, wow, this window is really, oh my God, it's gone. I thought it was clear, but. You could definitely cause some panic that way. On the flight deck, uh, normal operations of the aircraft's pressurization, pressurization system. So they had no idea that there was anything wrong. So apparently the what pressurization about those free system didn't work. safety checks, you know? Yeah, exactly. An engineer and pilot were then dispatched to take a look. <laughs> it, it took a freaking engineer. It was agreed that the aircraft should return to Stansted and the plane landed 36 minutes after takeoff. Once parked, the cabin crew inspected the plane and discovered that two window assemblies, the inner and outer panes and the rubber seal were missing. So yeah, 
The only thing in place was the scratch pane, a piece of plastic that prevents passengers from touching the outer window. Oh, so there's actually a, there's something there to prevent people from messing around with the actual glass. You know what else is protection for scratching the window or moving the window? Yeah, having a window. Um, so let's see here. Thermal damage and window deformation were subsequently observed in the area around the overwing emergency exit, which the AAIB attributed to extended exposure to elevated temperatures. They say that there was a filming event where high powered lights were active for up to five and a half hours. All right. So pro tip, don't shine commercial lights at airplane windows or the seals break. What is this? An iPhone? Is it really like just glued together like that? Ah, uh, anyway, now if you didn't have any fears, I guess you have to ask now at the gate, Hey, were any high powered lights pointed at any of the windows on this flight? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Why that will damage this is a whole other matter. But. I've n yeah, I'm just astonished. Z says they're never flying again. No, come on. This is a once in a million issue. Just start freaking people out by having high intensity lights pointing at a plane from now on. Eesh. Yeah, really, you know, I mean, if you're sitting there and you see anything, what is the sun doing to it? You know, on really hot exactly. days, it's flexing it a little bit, not enough for it to detach, I suppose. Yeah, this actually kind of has some concern here. Did I say who even did this article? Joshua Zitzer? No, no. Well, now I did. Hey, Joshua Zitzer put the article together over at businessinsider.com. I'm batting clean up tonight, folks. But that's it. Ta-da! All 10 articles. I hope you all had some fun. We get back into the party bus and drive all the way back down Main Street and hit that sign. And uh, we talk about a bunch of news. Hmm... Hey, SAG-AFTRA approves deal to end historic uh, strike. Dun, dun, dun. We'll have to talk about that tomorrow briefly. They say it reaches a tentative deal, though, according to this other article. I feel like we keep seeing that they're at a deal, but have we actually reached one? Well, all I can say is I'm glad that reality TV didn't get a resurgence during this time frame, at least not yet. I don't know what kind of movies and, and stuff like that was accomplished during this shutdown. But the last one that ran this long resulted in reality TV forming. Yeah, we're still paying the price decades later. <laughs> all of society is paying that price. Although some people that I know say that it's their guilty pleasure. So apparently a lot of people's guilty pleasures because it rakes in the money like nobody's business. How about an 
East Texas cockfighting bust sees 300 spectators flee into the woods. <laughs> oh man. What a trip. What people will do for fun. Look, the SAG after strike is over folks. You can stop doing your cockfighting and go watch some That's TV. Right. Go watch some actual TV, please. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do during the strike? I spun up a cockfighting arena and sold tickets to 300 spectators. Oh my goodness. Okay. There's a Ghostbusters uh, movie coming out. Another one. So I hope that they keep on spinning these up. I love Ghostbusters. I hope it has the same character, but this, the newest iteration is their kids or at least Spangler's kids, right? Um, or family. So yeah, I don't know. They had most of the original cast in the last one. Yeah. But I mean, there everybody is going their own separate ways now. Who knows? Um, but I really liked the energy from the other movies. Um, even the all female cast, I thought it was fun. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. It really depends on the news. The news between today and tomorrow is just, there is so much news that comes flowing in. Um, I, I can't guarantee anything, but if you find something, if you're going through hometown and, and shifting through all of the news, send me the link. Um, right now, uh, if you have signed up, you should be able to provide it, um, through one of the menu options. It's right here. I have the screen enlarged. So, but once you log in, you can actually submit it. Um, and, uh, I will get it and we'll evaluate it and um, include it. And that's it though, folks. We are all done. Done, done, done. Done. Thanks for coming. We'll see you tomorrow, 8 p.m. Sound good, AI? That sounds great. We'll be here. I'm Merwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience. Watching over me, making sure that I don't make, uh, well, like that paragraph, say something goofy that will incite riot. You want to say so bye? good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for tuning in. And let me just reiterate, thank you very much for chatting Heavy Steel and Z and Choppa and those who are, um, lurking in chat appreciate your time all of you could be anywhere and you chose to spend an hour and 20 minutes with me or some variation therein and um i think that's awesome thanks a lot see you tomorrow bye bye hey the stream's over you don't have to go home but you can't stay here